welcome back to the Sideline Live podcast. You can follow us over on Twitter and Instagram at the Sideline Live. We'd love to hear from you. On episode 58, I'm delighted to be joined by former professional soccer player and Kildare GEA star Kevin Feely. On this episode, we discuss his career, mastering the high catch, motivation, practical tips as an intercounty footballer, individual skills and in practice, and so much more. I hope you enjoy. Hi Kevin, thanks a million for joining me on the podcast. No problem, no order. Thanks for having me. I was doing a bit of research and actually only found this out today. You actually were born in Brussels and you grew up there and you speak French, is it? Uh, no, the, the French is a bit rusty now at this stage. <laughs> but uh, no, yeah, I uh, yeah I lived there till I was eight um, and did speak French at the time. But okay. within about a year of moving to Ireland, I yeah totally forgot all and struggled through me leaving cert French in the end. So uh, I didn't right. understand me too well, unfortunately. <laughs> so you moved to Waterford and you grew up there. Gaelic football wasn't really the, I guess, the priority growing up um no no not it wasn't um yeah obviously Waterford wouldn't be a Gaelic football stronghold um although the club I was playing with Tremor would have had a decent team but um yeah no, I was all about the soccer and, and hurling early on um and a million other sports as well actually yeah growing up I would have played so much like DA soccer uh tennis basketball athletics Brilliant. everything just yeah everything got a bit of a, a go but i suppose from a priority point of view it was um soccer and hurling were definitely the the top two i think okay what stood out for those two sports apart from the other what seven thousand you were doing at the time yeah um good question no i, I think yeah if i was being honest soccer was the main one i just okay um i don't know i'd always wanted to be a professional soccer player from as soon as i could kick a ball that was kind of the direction I was guided down by by the parents as well and uh um just was a mad Man United fan and just yeah soccer would have been the, the first love definitely for um for a while and obviously being in Belgium I wouldn't have been exposed to GA really when I was younger either so yeah um soccer was it was is their, their kind of national sport over there as well so um yeah just kind of transferred over when I moved to Watford then but uh, yeah GA kind of got a script into me then after that and growing up, was there any particular coach uh, from any of the sports that you played that kind of had a big impact on you? And you kind of look back and you say, God, they really, maybe I didn't know at the time, but looking back, they really like got a good influence on me. That's a good question, actually. I have never, never thought that one through that much. Um, I'm putting you on the spot now. Yeah, on the spot a little bit. But, uh, well, like, yeah, I don't know. I suppose underage, I don't remember too much. I would have had... Um, couple of soccer coaches on the raise that would have kind of um I got I was really lucky got to play with like a really successful under 11 under 12 team when I was eight so we got like they didn't have any teams younger than that in the soccer okay. club and um would have been a manager there Liam O'Rourke who would have um kind of brought me in when I was like very young and shy or whatever and let me play under 11s with his team and they were absolutely deadly like so I, I kind of learned loads from playing with that older team um and then after that it was just you know the, the the coaches I remember most would be the kind of the football managers at minor, same person and that one the club who, um, just had such a, a massive influence on my own age group of players within that club as well. Just mm-hmm. so many of them went on to to go on and play senior club for a tie um, and win stuff with a tie, and he would have been a huge part of that as well. So, um, yeah, I don't remember too many coaches early on 
Um, but uh, when it got to minor level, yeah, guys like Shane Parson would have had a huge impact on the Irish. Mm-hmm. I'm conscious of a lot of the younger listeners kind of in the secondary school uh, college range. Um, talk us through a little bit of your leaving search and kind of deciding to go down the route you're taking now. Um, yeah, well, the, yeah, I suppose even throughout the leaving search, I definitely would have had um, as much as I was, you know, very focused on school and stuff like that, I, I still would have had uh, sport as the number one priority, which probably isn't, okay. isn't ideal, but I did, I did get the balance. I got the balance pretty, like, fairly well. Like, if I still had big ambitions of going to college, but I think, like, the, still the end goal was to try and become, like, professional football or whatever. But, mm-hmm. um, no, we, like, even throughout leaving start, I would have been playing... Um, you know, minor football, I would have been playing under-17 soccer with Belvedere up in Dublin, um, and then a bit of county minor as well. So there was a lot of kind of travelling and training during the week, but um, I don't know, I just, I, I didn't, I was able to get that balance okay in terms of doing, getting me work done and getting a bit of studying as well. And um, the course I wanted to do was physiotherapy, I suppose, or athletic therapy at DCU. Um, I would have had all the kind of, I wanted to do something in sport, I knew that for, for definite. So I, any of the courses um, that were kind of some way sport related, like uh, athletic therapy, sports science, physiotherapy, um, even I, I would have had a couple of, I would have had psychology and journalism on the CEO as well, but okay. um, they would have been a bit further down. But um, yeah, anything sport related, um, I had up high and, and TCU at the time had, had a link with... Um, <clears throat> with Bohemians League of Ireland club and my my age Belvedere team basically all of us had been signed by Bo's under 20s team so um there was a possibility of kind of getting a, a half scholarship through through Bo's and DCU so um that kind of influenced me putting those the DCU courses down as the number one ones um and then just luckily enough I was able to get enough points to, to get into athletic therapy so um that was that was that from a from an education point of view I, I knew I wanted to do something in sport yeah. even though it was just kind of uh, it was more of a, of a backup to trying to get be a professional athlete but um, I would have been, always been very strong and making sure that I at least had that backup there if, uh, if things didn't go well. Um, even there you mentioned that half scholarship that's something that I think maybe secondary school students forget that you know I can get a scholarship that can reduce my points or can help with financial costs let's say for accommodation or fees like I think that's something we even remember and it's great to have that you had that link with Bohemians what was it like then going to college and playing with Bose and how did the opportunity to to go to the UK come up? Um, yeah college was great um, it, it was absolutely ideal in that um, Bohemians were training in Daly Mount Park at the time which is in Fidra which is like a, a five minute drive from DCU so um, it worked out really well um, that I was able to train part-time with Bowes and study full-time um, in DCU um, and also kind of combine that with playing a bit of Freshers GA as well but um, in terms of how the, the UK thing came about so I, I did two years of playing with Bowes uh, initially with their reserves in under 20s Okay. And then the following year, um, you know, both were under some kind of finance, were under financial pressure at the time, so they, they didn't really have the budget to be bringing in established players. So a lot of our under twenty and reserve teams um, ended up becoming the first team in my second year. So we got mm-hmm. a really good opportunity to play um, like senior level football in the League of Ireland. Um, and then throughout that year, I think it was, yeah, about in twenty twelve. I just got a run of games, played played regularly for for Bowes, and 
Um, I, I think around August, September time, off the back of maybe 30, 30 or so games, a couple of clubs got in touch with the club with Bose, like a couple of clubs in the UK, mm-hmm. um, asking about going over for for a couple of trials, um, and I would have done three or four day trials with a, a few clubs in the UK during that time, um, and then luckily enough, uh, a couple of them offered me contracts, Charlton and Peterborough, and I just ended up saying I'd um. I'd try and defer the, the college course for a while and give the soccer a crack in the UK. So I ended up going over to Charlton then. Very good. How did you find transi- transitioning from, as you said there, from the level of League of Ireland, you're playing under 20, to the UK to be a professional athlete and living that lifestyle? Yeah, it, it was it's, it was a difficult transition, definitely. Um, especially like going from, you know, this kind of student lifestyle um, into, into full-time sport. It was... It, it, was, it, was, it was difficult but as well it was something that I visualised for so long growing up that it was always going to be the case that um, I don't know it didn't feel like too much of a shock to the system it was like my absolute dream to be in a position where um, I was playing sport as, as my full-time job so um, you know after the initial kind of settling in periods I just absolutely loved it like the idea of, of training and playing every day and that being your job and um, kind of took to it really well from a sporting point of view. Probably took a little bit longer to settle in socially. That was probably something that um, maybe even at 19, it's it's tricky and you probably haven't developed like a, your emotional maturity yet to, to do that very well. Um, that took a little bit more time, but um, from a, a sporting point of view and a, and a work point of view, I absolutely loved it. The training side of things was brilliant. I was really lucky to have uh, like an, an outstanding under 21 manager in, at Charlton so I, I wouldn't have been signed as a first team player I was signed as an under 21 player okay. um, and the first year I just played with the under 21s in reserves um, and our manager was he was absolutely brilliant Nathan Jones um, and he, he really helped to bring me on as a, as a player and an athlete and left me in what I thought would have been a, a really good position going into my second year at Charlton but uh yeah, that that didn't work out in the second year, but the, the first year, but I absolutely loved it. It was it was initially a tough transition, but yeah. once you get used to it, it's uh, it's every every young lad's dream, I think, to to be playing professional football. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What were the different methods that he used to help improve you as a player? Um, well, in terms of the carrot and stick, it was definitely a lot more stick. Um, <laughs> it, it was really big on. No, he did. He did use positive reinforcement when it was, you know, you know, when when, when you did well, but kind sometimes. But um, he just set it like such a high bar um, of of what this what the standard was, what the minimum standard was in in every training session, um, that if you fell below it, it was really embarrassing. Um, okay. And I, it's probably not you know the most modern day approach to to coaching in that regard, but yeah. Um, you just knew all about it if you were falling below the, the barometer that he had set and he had it kind of ingrained in his team as well that you know players were to call each other out as well if they felt that the standards were slipping um, okay yeah and, and it just it, me- it meant in every training session that there was definitely a, a case of like survival of the fittest like if, if you found that approach a bit too strong and, and you were struggling from a pressure point of view that's you just felt too under pressure coming into training sessions, then yeah, you know, maybe that team wasn't for you and, and you struggled. But 
and initially I, I would have felt that way. I was thinking, geez, I'm, I'm absolutely dreading going into training here in case I make a mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, but once you break through that barrier um, and meet the standard that he has set, it's like such an amazing feeling to have pleased him, you know, because yeah, he's such absolutely. a hard coach to please. Um, that um, that once you did that and once you became like an established member of his team and you, I suppose you felt like you'd earned his respect, it, it meant the absolute world to you uh, and your confidence levels just soared because of it. So um, I think I think just the, the standards he set and the his style of um, making sure that he was on your case all the time and that you didn't ever drop below what, what he expected of our team um, and then empowering the players to kind of do similar um, it had a huge influence on me um, and you know the results kind of spoke for them like we went through that season unbeaten with the under 21 reserves like we won, we won every single game um, the shows there. and it, that's it yeah and he did mellow out towards the end of the season like once he kind of got to know us a bit better and you know we, we were obviously being sick we were quite successful he um, he definitely mellowed out and kind of let us into his own personality a little bit more but mm-hmm. initially I think that um dictator style uh coaching method was really effective especially with a group of 18 19 20 year olds it just seemed to be exactly what we needed at the time now i'm sure it, you know with, a, with an adult team that might necessarily work as well yeah. but it, it was exactly what we needed anyway how do you find i it was always your dream to go to be a professional athlete but how did you find the pressures of it all like even there, just maintaining standards it's your job I know personally, I would nearly, I would, I know for myself, I would struggle with it because I need multiple, not distractions, but I need multiple avenues in my life. How did you find sport becoming your job rather than, let's say for myself, it would be an outlet from everything else I do? Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Um, uh, personally, I, I didn't find that too much of a problem uh, in terms of stuff to do outside of the sport. Um, okay. It still remained an outlet for me. Uh, I, I tr- the training pitch and the training centre was very much what became my comfort zone. Um, absolutely loved being there. Um, outside of the pitch, I was I was really lucky that the digs that the the club put me up in in Charlton. Um, there was four other guys there, all of a very similar age to myself. Um, in the same boat, kind of, we were playing more or less on the same team and got on really, really well. Um, so, so yeah, socially outside of training, we did loads of things together. Or, you know, cinema, playing snooker, pool, or um, you know, the odd night out or whatever. We found it like socially that that was great. Um, it probably created a little bubble that I should have worked harder to get out of. If that makes sense, I probably could have been yeah. Um, you know, trying to experiment a bit more socially in terms of you know, go. I we could I could have taken a lot more trips into London city centre. Um and done the more touristy stuff like I did do a little bit but um I, got, I got, definitely could have worked harder to make more friends outside of that little comfort zone that I had but mm-hmm. you know I was young at the time and coming from a, a student lifestyle I just wanted to get replicate that as much as possible outside of training um, and that's pretty much what I did at Charlton for two years so um integrated fairly well with that you know small group of guys but would have really struggled then to integrate myself into the the first team and the senior team and um, probably due to a lack of maturity I just wasn't you know ready to to kind of expose myself to them and let them kind of let them know what type of a person I was but um yeah. I, I in terms of you know that being my full-time job that that was never a problem for me and it was probably 
made much easier by the fact that I had um, four or five close friends there living beside me um, to socialise with outside of it. Mm-hmm. How did you find then, you mentioned the first year went really well, the second year maybe less so. Uh, what kind of happened? You mentioned there even just trying to break into the first team was a little bit of a struggle there. Yeah, so I, uh, the, into the second year then, um, uh, after after what I thought was a, a good first season, uh, when I went back for pre-season, um, I didn't make the first team uh, squad that was going on a pre-season training camp um, in Spain. Uh, when I and I asked the first team manager about it, he just kind of, you know, not not unpleasantly, he just kind of let me know that I wasn't part of his plans for the year ahead, um, and okay. that would have been a bit of a blow. Um, after like thinking that I'd had a good year, um, mm-hmm. but I understand now where, where he was coming from. There was a couple of younger centre backs, uh, maybe a year or two behind me, who definitely had more potential than I had at the, probably to, to go on and be and be um, better players. So I could see where he was coming from, um, and he just basically told me to try and uh, find a club to go out on loan till until uh, my contract ran out at the end of that year. Um, so that okay. would have been. Yeah, you know, it would have been a bit a big blow for me at the time, yeah. Um, and maybe didn't react as well to it uh, as as I should have in terms of like I had a higher opinion of myself than I should have had. I thought I should have been in the first team, but where yeah. you know, realistically, um, when I look back in hindsight at the players around me, you know, he was probably, um, you know, he probably wasn't too far on with it. Um, but it goes to show you as well that you know, there's a bit of luck involved if, if the manager, like, so he didn't sign me. It was the under twenty one manager that signed me. So he had no real um, attachment to me at all. Like it was an easy decision for him to make. Whereas yeah. if I had gone to the other club that was involved, Peterborough, um, they were signing me to go straight into the into the first team, um, and that right. could have gone, you know, could have gone differently. But um, I kind of chose Charlton off the back of them being a much more stable club financially, where they had a training ground and okay. you know a really good history. Whereas Peterborough seemed a little bit kind of all over the shop financially, but. Okay. Um, yeah, so off the back of that, then I, I tried to I tried a couple of clubs on loan and got my first taste of senior football at, at League One level with Carlisle, um, and that was a disaster. So uh, I played three games there and, and had an absolute. Um, well, I did okay in the first game, and then the the second entire game just just turned into absolute nightmare. So okay, um, the confidence took a good dent, and then I started thinking about uh, about home an awful lot more. Okay. Um, because my own age, Claire under twenty ones, they were on a roll and on the way to winning the Leinster Championship. Um and I was thinking, geez, I should, you know, I should be back home doing that or whatever. Now again it was just I was just catastrophizing because the yeah. immediate situation wasn't very good. Mm-hmm. Um and I started just going through emotions a little bit, basically waiting to run out my contract to go home. And but then uh, had a good chat with my dad actually halfway through that season and he kinda told me to cop on and, and give it a proper go and um another club came in uh, looking for me, a lot of centre back on loan Newport County and I went to them for about the last third of the season and played the last 11 or 12 games with them and probably because I had taken the pressure off myself and I had kind of accepted yeah. that I was going home I, I played without really any fear of that and you know yeah. ironically played much better in those games than I had done and then um, they ended up offering me a contract then for the next two years. So um, I, after a kind of summer thinking about it, I decided I'd give it a full year or two of trying to play first team football. And I went back to them for, uh, that would have been 2014. And I was um, signed at Newport and, and, got, and fairness absolutely loved me time there. Plays 
played for two years regularly enough um, outside of the odd injury. Um, and like socially, it was a, it was a big change from Charlton in that socially I fit fit in really really well with the Newport guys. Okay. Um, and just found Wales. It's in Wales, and I found it a much more similar place to Ireland, a much nicer place to live, and um, really enjoyed it from that point of view. But um, probably came to the realization halfway through that uh, contract that um, this was probably the the maximum level I was capable of playing at with soccer. Okay. Um, whereas I felt like in G- in Gaelic football, I had more potential to achieve a bit more. Um, okay. And then I kind of was also had the, I wanted to finish my college degree as well. Um, mm-hmm. And was just, you know, getting phone calls about coming back with Kildare and eventually just the, the pull of playing football again was a bit too strong. So um, a couple of years into that Newport's uh, contract of mutually agreed to go home and start up the college again and, and go back playing football. Very good. Um, I had a former Donegal senior footballer, Luke Keeney, on and we were chatting about training load and injury. And from your experience mm. uh, and your qualifications, he made a really good point. His brother plays and the difference between him and his brother at the same age was his brother had one coach, whereas Luke had it could have been four or five managers pulling at him. What what yeah. do you think? I'm not going to ask you for a solution because that's a podcast in itself. But what yeah. what can we do in the GEA to stop stories like Luke happening, where players have to retire very early with serious hip or knee injuries? Yeah, um, yeah. In fairness, I think the GEA are taking some steps to address that already. There's you know there's minimum minimum age um you have to be to play at a certain age now under age obviously mm-hmm. i think you know you have to be 17 to play under 21 you have to be over 15 to play minor this kind of stuff and mm-hmm. um, that will help um i think they're looking into getting rid of the pre-season competitions at inter-county level which will help a lot in terms of allowing college players to play college games without the um added load of then going playing over and cup matches or, or being yeah. forced to to put in um, massive training weeks with their county on top of what they're doing with their with their college and stuff like that. And I think most county managers and co- well, in my experience anyway, our county managers have always been really um, accommodating towards anyone who's been in college and just, you know, accepted that this is the time when they play Sigurdsson or they play um, uh, Fitzgibbon or whatever and, you know, leave them to us. Uh, we'll just keep an eye on them until that's finished. And that seems to be coming into the game an, an awful lot more. Um, what probably needs to change a bit more, um, maybe at club level in particular, is just the the attitude of coaches maybe insisting that players play through certain niggles and certain injuries or insisting they play through pain. So even in Luke's case, I'm sure his... Um, his hip pain mightn't have started off as being that bad and you know would have gradually gotten worse but the fact that he was probably felt under pressure to play through a certain amount of pain you know would, wouldn't have helped him and um, that attitude probably you know should be looked at in terms of player welfare you know coach has to accept both the the medical opinion of the, of the physio or doctor and, and also the that the player mightn't be even though they say oh yeah I'm grand because they, you know, they'll obviously want to play yeah. Um, you probably have to. They probably have to probe a little bit deeper and, and find out how badly affected is this guy or girl by by their injury and not be putting them under pressure to play numerous matches through the pain. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned there you came back <clears> to play with Kildare. How was it like coming back uh, back to college, back to Kildare? I guess the you really did want to play for Kildare. So did you miss the soccer much? Um, 
No, I, yeah, I weirdly just didn't didn't miss it a bit as much as I really liked it. Um, I didn't miss it miss it at all. It just the GA just became so all consuming, and and I went back into third year of college, so I, I picked up where I'd left off three years previously, and it's probably the most intense semester of the athletic therapy courses, the first semester of third year, and I just okay. had to get straight, you know, straight into that, and and that was really intense, and then obviously. Um, with intercounty football being what it is from a time commitment point of view, I didn't have time to be thinking about um, soccer or to be missing soccer. It was just, it was very full on from from the minute I, I started up again. Um, I did, I had, you know, I, I would, we have to do certain work placements in, in our course um, with different teams. And I got put with the DCU soccer team um, as, the, as their uh, athletic therapist on the sideline. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were times when they were stuck for numbers and I'd talk out for them. Um, but that was literally the only time I've, I played soccer. Um, okay. So I, that, since 2015, I haven't you know played a soccer match or even five aside. I, I, I'm not for any you know emotional reason i literally just haven't hasn't crossed my mind to do that um okay. just totally fell out of I, I don't wouldn't follow the premiership and like that the most i follow now is league of ireland um because my brother's in in it and i, I kind of always have that connection with bows that I, I've, I've always wanted them to do well so yeah. um outside of that I, I don't have really a huge connection to soccer these days anymore at all do you think that's because you um you did give it the hundred percent? Like you went to the UK, you, you got there, and even you you mentioned there previously, you just realised this is probably the maximum I can get. And what well, sounds like you got a kind of a bit of closure, even kind of going to the UK and being like, right, I I did what I said I wanted to do. Yeah, I think that's actually that's fair. Um, I I definitely I was glad that I gave it the extra the extra year that my dad kind of convinced me to do. Um, and got the opportunity to play first team football for a period of time mm-hmm. um and yeah i'd say because i kind of left on my own terms rather than you know you know not finding a club um that probably helped from a not having too many regrets point of view mm-hmm. um again it was probably quite short-sighted thinking when, when i look back now in hindsight that i, I if i had a, stuck at it a bit more and if i did i'd say if i didn't have that option of coming home and playing gea I would have been a bit more single-minded about about the okay. soccer and maybe put the head down and kind of you know built up a bit more belief in myself but um yeah no I, i'd say that the fact that i had at least trying it tried it realized maybe this isn't for me um and left on my own terms that probably was a big part of the reason that i don't have uh, huge regrets looking back on it now yeah to be an intercounty footballer to be a professional athlete you need a lot of motivation and I was chatting to Adrian O'Sullivan, Dublin Camogie coach, and he was made a really good point about kind of like people asking about halftime talks or kind of motivation. He was like, well, if, to be an inter-county footballer, you don't need me to be screaming at you to do something. You're just going to do it anyway. Where do you, where does your motivation come from to be an elite athlete and to be the best uh, player you can be? Um, I'd, I'd say from a young age, it came from, always having that end goal in mind like I just I'd never stopped thinking about becoming a professional athlete so until that happened I was always going to be motivated in everything I did to to achieve that Um, and that that kind of self drive or self motivation came quite naturally to me when I was younger I think Um, I'd always try and create 
in matches create someone that needed to be impressed and uh, like even if it was an imaginary scout on the sideline or you know a, a coach that I really really respected and I wanted him to him or her to think really highly of me and yeah. um, that used to I used to use that tool as a as a, as a motivating tool all the time um, and that helped me get to a certain point where, where I used to love trials I used to love opportunities to have someone to impress because I, I found that um, way of getting up for for games or matches really easy um and then i suppose coming into the difficulty i found was maintaining that motivation once i'd achieved a certain goal so okay. um that's probably where i kind of came off the boil a bit um at, even at newport so i got playing regularly for 10 games and then would have allowed complacency to, to sit in definitely um expectation of how you're going to play goes up if you've had a few good games early on and that, that can be tough to deal with as well but um I, I I know looking back I definitely let that uh that those motivation levels drop a little bit once I kind of hit a certain point and then you need to reassess and, and create some new goals that help to motivate you again um and I've had that issue with in GA numerous times and I'd say it's the same with a lot of inter-county players that once you get used to like once you get into the thick of an inter-county playing career the training and matches, if you allow them, can become quite monotonous, and okay. you know you, you you know you allow yourself to go through emotions a little bit. Um, so it's important that if you see that kind of complacency creeping in, that you you know you create some new kind of short term goals to help focus you again, um, and drive those motivation levels back to to where they should be. Okay, that that's really interesting. What sort of goals would you set yourself when you, because like when you say there, that's having really good self awareness of being able to be like, right, you know what, I'm being complacent. So, what sort of goals do you set to kind of keep yourself in tuned and motivated? Um, yeah, as in from a training point of view, I, I I try and kind of narrow it down to to each session that, um, you know, they're not they're not necessarily realistic. They're more kind of cues for myself to stay switched on in that. Okay. You know, I want, you know, I tell myself, right, well, after this training session, I want everyone to have said um, I was the hardest worker at that session or um, that my, you know, my dedication to it couldn't be questioned or my desire couldn't be questioned. And they're the little things I say to myself to try and, and they're like the short-term goals that after the session, I say, right, do you, how would I rate myself in terms of my desire and intensity during that session? Um, and if I'm happy enough with that, then I know, it should look pretty good from the outside as well um in terms of like more measurable goals it'll be um nowadays you know you have gps monitors in a lot of the time i'll, I'll set yeah. certain goals that i want to hit from a a distance covered and a high intensity meters covered point of view um and then for matches itself i, I put a big emphasis then on on number of possessions um successful passes stuff like that um and you know positive uh plays like plays where going forward rather than backwards and stuff so they're the more measurable goals i'd set myself but that are quite short term and then obviously you'd have your your longer term stuff um that you want to have achieved by the end of the season you know which might be something as simple as being fit and ready for every game or you know being playing every game um or you know you could go higher and say you know I want obviously the team to win an Leinster final, um, and individually I want to be recognised for whatever awards kind of thing. So there'll be longer term goals that you keep in the back of your mind, but I think it's much more valuable to to focus on the on the short term stuff to to stop complacency setting in. That's brilliant. I really like the way you're speaking about this. Is that something you've ever like? Did you ever get help kind of with goal setting? Have you sought advice from um, or? Yeah, yeah, at, at different stages. Um, 
we're like we're, you know, I'm sure it's no different to most inter-county teams. They have, I suppose they're called performance coaches now, but you know, would have been called sports psychologists um, back in the day. And you know, I would have met with. We've had two or three now at this stage of Kildare. Um, I never would have done any kind of prolonged sessions with them. Just the, the odd meeting, you know, once or twice okay. a year, kind of a thing. Um, and definitely would have picked up certain ideas from them. Um, I think they're the most valuable thing they do is help you create self-awareness of, of the type of person you are and what, what motivates you um, personally. Um, I think that that's the biggest value in those guys is they, they help you become a more driven person and definitely would have picked up tips from, from those people um, to help that, uh, to help kind of develop that side of myself. You mentioned there are a lot of short-term goals and the match goals and the training goals. Do you ever sort of make notes after training or maybe before ma- after matches? Um, not anymore. I, I used to be very um, a bit over the top with that. Oh, uh, right. where, yeah, sorry. <laughs> a couple of years back, um, just with a, it, yeah, I thought it was a helpful thing to write down. Um, you know what? Yeah, I had. I used to have like a list of thirty things I wanted to achieve in each match, and it was just stupid 30. stuff. <laughs> wow, it was because I'd be thinking about the match in that much detail that I'd just be spewing stuff down about catches and kicks and tackles and blocks, and you know, I would be going through every side of it, um, and then after the game, I'd come back and see how many of them I'd hit, and then you know you might have only ticked four of those boxes and then you're devastated because, you know, so it ended up being counterproductive in the end. Um, so, and, you know, I used to take notes on, you know, opposition players and stuff, but I just found that there was, there was just too many times I was psyching myself out of games just by overthinking it. Um, yeah. uh, and, you know, so I just tried to take a, take a back seat now with that stuff now and try and approach both club and county games a little bit more relaxed. Um, and I find the less I'm thinking about it, before throwing, the more relaxed they are. And then when the match starts, because I know that, you know, physically and mentally, I'm, I'm going to be prepared. You know, it's, it's impossible not to be when you're training at inter-county level. It happens automatically with the amount of detail that goes into each session. So, um, yeah, that's the approach I'm taking these days is a little bit more uh, laid back. Okay. And what would, do you have anything particularly you would do in a routine before training or matches at all? Um, no, I've, yeah, I've, I've figured out kind of what suits me best from a from a nutrition point of view now to try and eat a lot more the day before and then stay a lot lighter with my eating on the actual day and that's it's been great to have different nutritionists advice on that recently and you know where you know a lot of the evidence suggests that what you eat the day before is a lot more important from an energy expenditure point of view so it takes a lot of the stress off uh, trying to eat loads on the day because i used to struggle with eating on the day of matches anyway with nerves so i'd be okay forcing myself to eat this because I thought I had to and you know nearly making yourself too full and feel too sick going into matches um, yeah. so that was just trial and error and, and experience learning that uh, you know just eat enough that you're not hungry um, and don't be feeling under pressure to force feed yourself kind of thing mm-hmm. um, and then outside of that the, the, the routine I usually have I'd have uh, um, I'm just mad into the Aussie rules the last couple of years just really took a, a liking to it and those matches because of Australian time tend to be on in the morning in, in Ireland. So usually the, the, on a Saturday or a Sunday, there'll be some kind of match, AFL match on. Um, I'll stick that on while I'm having breakfast, chill out, watch that, and then go for a bit of, usually go for a walk, um, about a 20, 30 minute walk on the day of the match as well. It helps get the legs moving and clear the head and then uh, onto the match then after that. So that, that's the kind of routine I've fallen into now. 
which is a lot more laid back, I think, than it, than it would have used to have been. So, um, but it seems to be uh, suiting me better from a mental point of view anyway. When you get to the pitch, um, is there anything particular particular you like to do? I know some players kind of look to, for the goals or even their thought process going up for the throw-in. Is there anything in particular you kind of just say to yourself? What's your self-talk like maybe during a match? Um, yeah, ju- during the match, I do an awful lot of self-talk yeah, beforehand. No, I wouldn't. You know, I wouldn't have any huge superstition. I do. I do like to get out on the pitch. That's more so just to get a feel of the the wind and what sort of a surface it is, rather than any kind of um, visualization process. Um, during the match, then I kind of a, a mantra I've always lived by to avoid negative thoughts getting into my head is that I'll always try to be, you know, talking out loud. So I, I you know, I, I'm sure it's really annoying for a majority of my teammates, but I never shut up. Um, <laughs> And but it's you know the well, hopefully they realise it's more but it's a it's for a selfish um, point of view rather than okay um, it might it might seem like you know I'm talking to them and telling them where to go and what to do and and, and stuff like that but it's you know it, it's a personal thing really it helps keeps me switched on it helps um, I know if I'm talking to to others around me I'm I'm I'm, I'm switched on about my own job as well. Um, and that, that helps to stop any kind of negative thoughts creeping into your head as well if you're because you're, you're constantly staying present and you're staying in, in whatever that current moment is um, mm-hmm. so I know that if I'm going quiet during a game um, that that's usually a sign that uh, I'm not doing too well or that I need to I need to do something to change uh, change things so um, I usually use that as a cue if, I, if I've kind of noticed things have gone quiet it's usually because I'm not talking and that I've I've switched off, so um, I like to use that as a cue to keep myself uh, motivated during games. Okay, that's really interesting. Um, I've asked a couple of people this question, not particularly GA players, but is the game mm-hmm. as a percentage even is the game more physical or mental? Um, it's hmm, a good one. Um, well, the, you know, there's obviously a minimum physical standards you have to be capable of. Um, yeah. To play the game at, at any level, but you know, especially at inter county level. But in general, at inter county level, most guys are of a similar physical ability. You know, with you know the odd exceptions here and there, especially position specific. You know, you're you're not likely to be marking someone in your position who's overly different to you from a physical attributes point of view. So, and um, then then after that, I do think. The, it's more mental yeah, at inter-county level because as I said it's it's a lot more an even keel from a physical point of view so um, I think your belief in yourself and your team and your system and stuff like that become a lot more important than probably the, the physical side of things um, at the highest level so I, I'd put uh, I'd put the 60-40 in favour of, of mental uh, mental skills when it comes to inter-county level Okay, interesting. I have a lot of coaches listening to the podcast um, and I've asked, again, a number of people this question. It's kind of like a every podcast I ask it, but what's the most underrated skill or attribute in the game at the moment, do you think? Is there anything we're really overlooking? Um, that's a great question. Um, underrated skill in the game. I think, well, I think Tyrone and Mayo... I've kind of set a blueprint for Gaelic football anyway. Um, but it's more so, like, it seems to be a tactical awareness thing more so than any individual skill. Um, they seem to just have, a like, an ability to um, 
just play totally as a team, like without individuals, um, both of Dublin are no different, obviously. Um, but uh, it's so evident when you watch both Tyrone and Mayo that um, the selflessness of all of them is just, it just it kind of screams out at you that um, none of them seem to be playing for any kind of individual glory. They all seem to buy into um, this system that the managers put in place for them and seem to believe that they're capable of carrying out to the, to the absolute max for Tyrone in particular seem to have the conditioning to, to do that and um, so I, I think the, the most underrated skill is probably um, selflessness and creating a, a, an environment in your team where where the 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 we comes before the I all the time, um, and then just having that belief um, in yourself as a player to be able to carry it out to the max ability. So again, I, I don't think there's any underrated like physical skill in terms of kicking or soloing or high catching. Like I think they're they're all at that level being performed to the to a great ability. I think it's more of a, a tactical awareness and and a selflessness seems to be the the skill that's um, getting teams over the line more so these days. Okay, that, that's a really interesting answer. I, I really like that one. Um, out of interest, with the high catch, um, I, had, I had a note down, I know you did an interview and mentioned it before, for any of the coaches or players that are listening, um, how do you approach a high catch? Like I know for myself, I have a prompt in my head, like a trigger to, to help me catch the ball. Is there anything particular with even technique that you've kind of realised over the years that that's something that's that's really important for me to do or is it just you don't really think about the high catch anymore, you just go up and, and get the ball? Um, it, it's it's become a little bit more thoughtless over time, but initially, um, you know, again, our, that minor manager I spoke about, Shane Purcell, had a, had this um, coaching cue of watching the O'Neill sign into into your hand. So basically, you're looking to see can you see the O'Neill's writing on the football, um, and if you have that acute level of focus on something, um, and you're watching it all the way into your hands, uh, the, the catch tends to happen quite naturally. And it was something I used to focus on a lot um, when I was younger. Um, and you know, now I don't have to think about it as much. Um, now the, the probably the main um, kind of coaching aspect or, or cue that I use for going for a high ball is to like, I find, I find with a lot of players and myself as well, that um, it's quite a vulnerable position to put yourself in to jump into a crowd of bodies like that you know you're you're putting your opening yourself up to being hurt basically and it's almost it's a it's a it's a mental challenge to tell yourself to go as hard for the ball as you possibly can um mm-hmm. so that's when i know when if, if i'm running towards a, a catch if i'm not standing under it um i always tell myself to you know go go hard as possible for this ball and um because you, you almost feel like someone in the contest won't go as hard as they should because they'll have that little bit of fear of getting hurt. And as yeah. I always tell myself, right, don't let that be you. Make sure you're the one that goes as hard as possible to, into the contest. Um, and that usually helps me in terms of getting getting to the ball first. You know, obviously, if, if everyone goes hard for it, it'll just, it'll just break, but at least you broke even uh, and you didn't let them catch it. So um, that's what I tend to tell myself at any time I'm jumping for a high ball. Brilliant. How did you find the water breaks? Um, I don't know if there there's a decision being made about next year, but how did you find them uh, as a player? Um, you're great, Chad. I don't see any any issue with them at all. Um, okay. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Uh, I don't. I'm used to them now, and I don't understand why they'd be. Or I, I I haven't read too much about the opposition against them. I don't. I don't know any of the 
yeah. argument against it. I don't, I, is, is it interrupting the flow of players? I, I, I don't see what it does that's uh, <laughs> neg- negative to the game. It's um, it's an opportunity to get water on board, which is important. I'm sure it's helping reduce a lot of cramp that happens during games. Um, and then um, it's just a quick opportunity to reset as a team. It's only a minute long. It's, I, don't, I don't see any issue with it at all, to be honest. Um, out of interest, when you're watching other teams and players, like you mentioned Tyrone and Mayo, is there anything in particular that you look for in a match? Um, I guess if you're sitting down to watch a match, subconsciously you're going to be picking out things, but is there any time where you sit down and you're like, right, I really want to see if I can pick out certain things here? Um, yeah, I'll, yeah, usually I look at the, the guys in my position that are kind of, I get drawn into doing that and then I, I'd be kind of looking at the game and Wondering how would I survive in this game? Like, would I would I be okay? Um, you know, in this game, or would the would the pace of it, or would the the game style not suit me at all? And um, I tend to see if that's. I, I try and look for ways in which a team has fitted similar style players to myself into their team. So, um, as I said, Toronto and Mayo both play with um, huge athleticism, huge energy you know, for huge long hugely long periods of the game. Um so I'd be looking at their, you know, taller, um kind of not maybe more aerobic, less explosive players and, and I'm looking at them and wondering team that's trying to see how are they fitting into the game plan and okay. and what roles does their team manager have for them within that game plan. And um I almost use it as a you know as a defense mechanism to tell me that I'm still art like I'm still able to play at this level you know if you, if you see a guy with similar physical attributes to you and they're still doing okay um in in a really high intensity game style and i'm telling myself right I, I can still do it if they can still do it so um from a selfish point of view that's what i'm looking at um and, and then outside of that not not a whole lot i just try and enjoy the games for, for what they are okay okay brilliant uh, last year you sent in a really good skills challenge i still haven't mastered it off both feet but uh, when you're training oh, yeah. by yourself, how do you structure your training and your kicking practice? And what are you looking to? What are you actually really looking to improve before next next season? Um, for yeah, for, for training, but yeah, we got a lot of practice training by ourselves recently. So if it's a, if it's a skills based session, um, I usually because I'm I'm a like one of the options for free taking. Um, you know, a lot further down the line than it used to be, but I'll always. And top up with a, a free taking session where um, I usually have 10, 10 areas between the goal and the 45. So I'll have four lines, uh, three balls on each line, and then one ball on the 45. And, and I'll do a, a challenge where I can't move on from one spot until I've scored from, from that spot. Um, yeah. uh, and that's a nice little free taking one I do. And then after that, um, if I don't have a partner with me and I want to practice some kick pass, and I usually just use the the backstop behind the goal, the net, um, and I'll just pick a, a number of say I'll, I'll I'll pick maybe I'm going to do ten passes with the inside of the right foot, ten passes inside the left, ten front on, ten at the outside, and I'll just experiment basically with different ways of striking the ball. Um, both standing still and on the run and just using the back net as a stop kind of thing um, and then usually you do a little bit of shooting on the run as well where if I'll either do a set of 10 shots, 5 on each leg um, gathering the ball away facing away from the goal um, 
usually with a bit of a kind of a, a change of direction run in between to make it a bit realistic. And then I'll do the same 10 shots, five and five, uh, coming on to a ball heading towards goal. Um, okay. And, you know, I usually be keeping a, a track of how many I've scored. Um, and then the next time I'm training, make sure I'm at least hitting that same kind of target again. So um, that would be, you know, the, the, the skill sessions I kind of do myself. But, uh, yeah, they're fairly straightforward. There's, no, there's nothing uh, crazy in, in, in them in that regard. How often would you do a skill session, let's say, uh, in season versus the off season? in season very very rarely now again these days there's such a i used to be used to be doing them all the time um but then with you know i don't know if it's the case but i would have been picking up various kind of muscle strains and physios were always claiming it was load related and that you know i was wasn't allowing enough recovery time so um an easy thing to to knock on the head would have been the extra skill session so um from a from a training load point of view, it's probably you 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 don't want to be overdoing it because you're you're getting plenty of it um, skills work in your training sessions naturally. So um, I usually, if I'm wanted to focus on some specific skill work, skills work in season, I do it uh, for twenty minutes or half an hour before training or, or twenty minutes half an hour after training and trying to get it all done in the one night. For any of the younger listeners that want to be an inch county footballer and be at elite level like yourself. Could you put together um, a three-point checklist of what it takes to be an inter-county footballer? Yeah, um, one, number one would be have a, have an end goal in mind. I think, uh, you know, whatever that goal is, keep that as your your motivation for everything you do. Um, I think that will help on the days when you don't want to go training and on the days when it's weather is terrible uh, and then you ask yourself, oh, what do I want to achieve? And then when you realize what it is, it, it helps to motivate you to get, to get out there and train. Um, the second thing I think is always to try and be the the hardest working player or in, in your team or the hardest working person in your environment. Um, don't let it be said about you that you're lazy. I think I always find that to be a, a big insult if someone suggested that about me. So um, I try and always make that um, not the case. Um, and then the last thing is you don't, don't be afraid to express yourself. So you practice all these skills for a reason, um, not just to be to achieve your end goal, but also um, to show what you're capable of and to um, to enjoy what you're doing. So you practice those skills to, to try and do them in a, in a match situation and training situation. So if you feel that opportunity arises, always back yourself and believe in your own ability to do it. So um, yeah, that'd be my little checklist, I think. Brilliant. Uh, would you rather score the winning point or make the winning block? That's cracker. Yeah, because yeah, there's you know there's a there's a famous block that I never ever ever forget. Um, that's probably it. Probably would be more remembered. I'd probably rather get the block. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'd say two or three years ago I would have said the point, but nowadays I think yeah the block would be yeah I'd rather get the block. Uh, so far in your career, what's been the biggest lesson you've learned from sport? Um, biggest lesson is uh, time. Time goes by quickly, so make the most of the make the most of every every single season that you're playing. Um, as I was saying, if you if you allow a period of time to happen where you're going through the motions and you're 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 happy to have a mediocre season. You'll you'll definitely regret it in in years to come. So, um, yeah, make make the absolute most of every season that you're playing. That'd be the biggest lesson I've learned. 
speaking of seasons, uh, new management are in, looking towards next year. Um, what's the goal for yourself personally and where do you think you can go with, with Kildare? Um, personally, it's to uh, try and impress the new management enough that, um, that I maintain the position as a starting player. Um, uh, that pre-season will be so important in that regard. I, I'm really looking forward to that. Um, and also to try and maintain a, a level of fitness that allows that, that stops me from missing games due to injury. Mm-hmm. And then uh, personally, Kildare have a have an absolutely huge year ahead of them in, in Division 1. Um, I've had experience of getting promoted to Division 1 and then going straight back down the following year. So I think as, as a team, our, our main goal will be not just to have the performances which we had in 2018, but also to consolidate those performances with with some results and and try and maintain our, our spot in Division One. Fantastic. So I'm going to move on to the sideline seven. It's the same seven questions at the end of every episode. It's kind of a thought provoking round, but you can take it whatever way you want. Uh, question okay. one: What is your favorite quote? Favorite quote. Um. Oh, I used to have a good one. Um. <laughs> My favorite quote, like, and this is this could be re- in relation to anything. Anything you want, yeah. It doesn't have to be sport um, or whatever. Ted, do you watch Ted Lasso? No, uh, no. <laughs> sorry. Right, there's, it's a great show. Um, that was recently out about a guy, an American football coach who comes over and coaches a soccer team. It's very funny, but um, he's inspirational anyway. He said, "Don't let fear of doing something." stop you from doing something you can't that's my favorite quote are you a big quotes fan um i i write them down but i, I never remember them off the top of my head they're in like a bank in my notes on my phone but uh, i'm the same as you yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, second question best sporting event you've been to um all Ireland final yeah yeah it's it's still the best yeah and nothing gets uh yeah, it gets you energised as much as a, a tight All-Ireland final. Like I've been to the drawn Kerry Dublin match, been to a couple of the Dublin Mayo matches and then the, the one this year as well. They're, they're always unbelievable. Is there any particular uh, sporting event on your bucket list? Um, AFL Grand Final. Okay, Definitely. very good. Uh, question three, biggest setback or challenge so far in your career and how did you react to it? Um... Probably getting, I suppose, rejected by Charlton in my second year, um, and I didn't react very well. I, I, I kind of threw the toys out of the pram for for six months, um, and needed a start talking to from my dad. But uh, after that, I reacted okay and, and ended up um, with a couple of good successful years. So every every knockback has its follow on um, positive impact. Brilliant. Uh, your biggest achievement so far, on or off the pitch? Um, probably uh, setting up my own business as, in, as an athletic therapist. That's that's up there. Um, and then on the pitch, um, the two county championships are one way to tie. So they're they're probably the, the top achievements. I think. How do you find balancing um, being an intercounty footballer with running your own business? Um, it, it's tricky. It's it's uh, it can be tricky. In that, I probably don't devote the time to my business. As, as much as I should because of the, the inter-county demands, um, especially with the, you know, the evening times would be normally a prime times for physio and I don't really have those evenings to devote to that. Um, but it, in, 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 on the other side of it, um, 
being in charge of your own hours is, can be very helpful that I'm never stuck for, you know, if, if I have to um, switch an appointment around or switch a couple of days around, at least I don't have to go begging my boss to, to do that. I can kind of do it myself. So it has, it has benefits as well as, uh, as well as negative. Brilliant. Uh, looking back, what advice would you give your 18 year old self? Um, so much advice I give there. Um, don't go through the motions. Yeah, don't don't let yourself get comfortable. Um, because yeah, comfort is the enemy of progress, definitely. So, um, that's why I tell myself. Brilliant. Who would be your dream dinner guest and why? And you can pick a few here. You don't have to just pick one. Yeah, Roy, Roy Keane was with York He's always been like, yeah, you know, would have been my hero growing up. Um, and now for different reasons, he just seems like he's absolutely great crack. Um with some fantastic opinions so definitely him um there is a guy in aussie rules called ben cousins uh, he's well retired now but has a super documentary about him called um such as life and uh, he's had a really interesting life um um anyone else in particular no i'll just go with those two i think very good. A uh, final question before I let you go: If your life was a book, what chapter would this be called? Um, hitting the, hitting his prime. Trying to look at it positively. Brilliant. So we have big things. <laughs> yeah, that's we have big it, things yeah. to expect now. Yeah, that's yeah, it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, Kevin, thanks so much for coming on. I really enjoyed that. Well, no worries. A massive thank you to Kevin for joining me in the podcast today. I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation, in particular the practical tips he gave surrounding goal setting, keeping himself focused and so much more. If you did enjoy the conversation or you did take something away from it, please do let me know over on Instagram or Twitter at The Sideline Live. I'd really appreciate if you could leave a rating and a review as it does help the show grow. Thanks as always for listening and I'll catch you in the next one.